Hi, Dan Alexander here, and this episode is brought to you by Required, the all-in-one go-to platform for serious recruitment professionals, owners, and founders who are looking to grow their businesses. Now, we'll actually be launching the new online platform very soon, and if you'd like to be one of the first people to get access to our state-of-the-art learning platform and vault of online resources, then get in touch with us through the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. Today's guest is Joe Mullings. I had Joe on the podcast 18 months ago and he said, hang in there, buddy. I know times are tough. This COVID crack was challenging, but we're in for the best 18 months in the history of recruitment. He called it, he got it right. And today's all about what he sees in the next 18 months. Now, the episode's called Burn the Dead Wood. You can read into that what you will. It's pretty self-explanatory. But there's lots of hope in this as well. There's a great opportunity for anybody who's listening to dig into the elements of your business that you can change. Can you flip your business from being just a straight recruitment company to something that maybe you have a community, maybe you're offering extra services like advisory services. Maybe you're doing other things that can control the spend of your client. And that's what Joe's done. He's been early in media, early in community, early in being a thought leader and has an awesome business. And he talked a little bit about that, the NFI growth of 4 million that they did from the previous year and how that happened and a lot of it is excellence within how they do recruitment but also the front end the tip of the spear the stuff that brings all the work in that he does and I think as founders it is our job to step up at this moment and win that business get out there don't hide behind putting KPIs on your staff do that for sure but get out there face it up Talk to your customers, work out how you can help them get through this, help you get through this. And on the other side, again, there'll be another boom, hopefully. Although Joe wasn't giving anything away on that. So, as ever, big shout out to our sponsors, Luxo and Sourcewell. Joe actually uses Luxo, he was telling me, and he's about to develop his own suite of products. Always ahead of the game. Um, I enjoy watching his evolution and how he always just has a go at just tweaking, evolving, but keeps an eye on the thing that got him there to the dance in the first place. That excellence of service to his candidates and clients and being the best at what they do. So uh, any any thoughts on this episode? If you've enjoyed it, if you want to get more information, please do reach out to me, join Required. It's free if you're a recruitment founder or senior director. Um, whether that is as a one-man band, we have a group for you. Or if you have like five billers or, you know, you're, you're, or even if you're up to 200 headcount, we have a space for you in the right group and the right conversation to help you take your business to the next stage. We've quite a few non-executive directors in our chat group 
and uh, they're there to offer advice and just be a probably when we go into these difficult times it's good to be able to go and find out what your peers are doing what the best advice from the best people in the industry is and this is all free so just hit me up join required if you qualify we'll let you straight in All right, welcome back to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. We have one of our favorite guests today. In times of crisis, we bring on people for emergency meetings. And it is an emergency out there. People are losing their jobs. The market's crashing. Crypto's evaporating. Elon Musk is taking over Twitter. He's slashed most of the people. He's trying to prove that you can do more with less. It's a fact and everything. Money's too expensive. We're trying to reshape the economy in terms of the inflation rate. It is, it's a time of flux. How are you feeling about it all, Joe? Uh, well, I'm, I'm along the lines of the, the best businesses are built when there's blood in the streets. <laughs> so I'm excited about it because it, it requires thought, it requires patience, it requires courage, and it requires basic business fundamentals. It sure does. So let's let's take a we step back. Um, for anybody who's wondering who Joe is, who hasn't caught up with any of our previous shows, give us a snapshot into the businesses that you run, Joe, where you're based. Uh, we are down headquarters is Delray Beach, Florida. We've got an office over, uh, well, you're in Gibraltar now, you've upscaled, but we've got an office over in the UK. Uh, we've got an office in Canada. We've got an office in Cleveland. We primarily focus in the medical device life sciences space. Um, we have about uh, 12 recruiters who will do over $12 million. So our PDA, our per desk average, is a million a desk. Uh, we have Dragonfly Stories and 160 Studios, which I sit in today. Um, we're the only search firm in the world that has its own production company. And that, you know, we can touch on the importance of that, on how you get your message to the market and not just trying to reach the market with phone calls because that's at most 60 or 70 a day. But what if I could show you how to get in front of 100,000 people a day in your specialty? Um, and I recently resigned from chief vision officer of management recruiters international so but i ran that for a little over two years and pulled them out of uh, the doldrums and pushed them forward into the 21st century with branding technology and office strategies so there's the there's, there's a snapshot the okay look i've jumped into the dragonfly stuff and the branding stuff before and i want to just focus on some of the other stuff today um the mri is really interesting because We've built Required over the last couple of years. Um, and I, I know a lot of what it takes to get communities up and running. And I love what you did with the branding there. What did you what did you come into and what did you leave it with? Hmm. So Manager Recruiters, great organization. I started my career there in December of 1989 as a headhunter uh, and then spent two years and then became an owner and opened up down in Miami Coral Gables and then left after a couple of years. Uh, Bert Miller bought the organization. I came back in, in March of 2020, actually the first week 
the first official week of COVID. And it was a tired brand. It had been beaten up by uh, private equity who had sold it a couple of times and great owners. I fell in love with the organization because the recruiters in the organization truly loved the business, but the leadership had absolutely disrespected the franchise category as well as didn't, didn't give them modern tools, didn't give them new strategies, basically was still pushing, take a phone, duct tape it to your head and drool into the phone for four hours a day and hopefully you make some placements. Um, and so with leadership there, I was part of reinvigorating the brand, bringing digital into it, bringing business analytics, business intelligence into it, brought it into the 21st century about you should cater to the individual, meaning the candidate, not to the companies. And then you should explain why a search firm should be a partner in your business relationship versus just being a service provider. And we did a great job of that. And uh, I think you're going to see some interesting, um, interesting headlines over the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Okay. So crisis hits. All the easy stuff, the gravy, it's gone. Mm. Can't just do it with LinkedIn recruiter and one relationship with an internal HR person because they're been now. They're all, they're looking for their own job, right? Correct. But you're running a search firm. What does your Monday board meeting look like? Mm -hmm. The market's changed. What do we do? Yeah. So look, it's still a fantastic market for search. It's just that, and, and we had this conversation a few months ago in my firm. Like I saw this coming for the last nine, 10 months, and we had all hands on deck a few months ago in my firm. And I said, it's really this simple. It's not doom and gloom. It's just that the fish have stopped jumping in the boat. And there's tons of fish in the ocean, but all of you people who got lazy or entered the business because the fish were jumping in the boat contextually, this is still a great time to be in search if you're not counting on the call-in JOs or the easy placements. So what do you do? Good question. Look, let's look at the playing field first. You got a couple, you got a couple players here. And in fact, Dwalta, I'll, I'll give you a peek inside the, my mad mind in preparation for this session today. So if my control board can pop up that graphic, I sat down about an hour ago and I just had to get out of my brain all of the things that I thought we'd explore for your audience today. Leah, you, can you get that you up? You knew I was going down this road, didn't you? I didn't know, but I was in preparation because I respect <laughs> our time together. Very good. This really, is, is, our, is our graphic up? Yeah. Okay. All right. So if you look at that graphic, you got a couple players here. You got your supply side, which is crazier than batshit crazy. The candidates. Right, right now, they're expecting big salaries. They're expecting sign-ons. They're expecting WFX lifestyle choices. They've got multiple offers, and they're getting counter-offers. So that's a dynamic right now that's really hard to get your arms around. So I like to think about the recruiting market as two loose ropes swinging around in the wind, and you're trying to grab the two loose ropes and put them together to make a deal. So your supply side, which are your candidates, your individuals, is crazy as heck. So let's just put that on the side for a second. Then your playing field, you brought it up earlier. You've got the geopolitical issues going on. You've got election cycles going on. You've got inflation, supply chain, interest rates. So what's happening right now is public markets do not like uncertainty. 
And so they start to respond to that kind of stuff. Governments don't like that. They start to respond. So that's the playing field companies are trying to play in right now. And then you've got the fuel for the rocket and the fuel is money. So you got venture money, you got private equity money, right? And then you got public markets and then you've got the banking sector. So, and then you got the tech sector. So the tech sector right now is, is, is causing everybody to at least pause because we're finally gonna have some sobriety to the tech sector. Because in the past, if you were raising money and hiring lots of people, your stock price went up, which is insane because it inferred growth. We got out of the mindset of building a business for revenue. So you got Meta right now, who um, is, is indicative of what goes on in the Bay Area. My Bay Area friends are going to get pissed at me for this, but it's the truth. And you've got two things happening. You got Elon coming in and calling out all of those vest-wearing, young to middle-aged software engineers who at best were working 15 hours a week and getting paid a quarter million to half a million dollars a year as quote-unquote techies. And are they smart? Yeah. But I spent years in Silicon Valley and there's no such thing as hard work out there. There's people showing up to a clubhouse. So you got that. There's a reckoning there. Meta, look, AR, VR, it's 100 years away before it's mainstream. You've got Amazon that's still hungover from everybody buying their toilet paper and everything else coming out of the COVID crisis because nobody wanted to go into stores. So you have all this overhiring of these tech people, software people. And so the internet marketplace is finally settle, settling in and it's not as frothy as everybody was hiring for. So what's that doing is it's scaring the heck out of the rest of the market. It's fine though, because if you look at the markets in general, profits are great, they're relatively stable, everything's highly predictable. And with the US, the Fed has told you what they're gonna do. There's gonna be no surprises. So now, you got the playing field, you got the supply side, which are the candidates, and then you got the fuel. And the fuel right now is hesitating. Could, could I add a couple of things to the supply side there? Go. The, you have a generation of people who are retiring that's, and there's, a gen, there's, there's enough wealth passing between the boomers onwards that people don't have to work. Then there's the gig economy of people that have become freelancers. So there's still a lack of people to do the job. Surely the fundamentals don't change in terms of highly skilled people for highly skilled jobs and the availability of that. Well, look, the dynamics occurring right now in the marketplace is corporations typically, their playbook moves very slowly relative to where the markets are. Because unfortunately, executives and HR aren't very good at building talent on their teams. They've never strategically had to do that. And now that you're getting in an environment, and this is why it's a very promising time for headhunters. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you what the symptoms are and what the challenges are. And then I'm going to offer up what I believe are going to be the solutions. And so, right, it's easy to point at the problems, but let's also talk about the solutions. So right now, the contract, the contracting world, if you're in the headhunting business, you ought to be exploring that as a addition to your full-time search. Because as you pointed out, Dwalta, 
organizations want to off balance sheet certain expenses. They don't want to bring on salaries. They still have to get the work done. And those people who thought they were retire or took an early retirement are going to get a little bored and going to want to wrap back in and have a lot to offer to the marketplace. Those who thought that they can go live um, from a WFX or a, it's none of your business where I work, still pay me, they're going to have a throat punch coming very soon. They're going to have to get back into the classic marketplace, but there's still going to be a part of that population, maybe two to 5% of the market that is going to be able to solve problems, but it's not going to be as generous to them as they expect. So I would be getting into, to complement my business, into the contract side of the business. And it's also nice because it's a monthly check coming in into the headhunting company that you own versus just the single pops or the transactional pops on the full-time search site. So I agree with you on the top end, the people who are retiring, and on the bottom end, the people who went to contractors. Um, people who are going to contractors are going to miss the tribal experience are going to miss showing up in the office every day, are going to miss the camaraderie, because there's more to the workplace than work, no matter what you want to say. Our relationships are formed there, our fulfillment is formed there, our, our, our side gigs that we do, our, our bowling, our softball teams, our football teams, our dart leagues, whatever it is, there's a lot more to the work environment than work itself. So we, we can't disrespect that and human nature being what it is. So now if you own a headhunting business, what do you do? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to make sure that your time to fill on your searches is the number one metric you look at. What we've started to do in our organization is we start the clock on the day that we start the outbound activity, not the phone calls, the outbound activities on our searches. And once we hit 60 days, we're in the red zone. Because if you're a headhunter, time kills all deals. And what we were seeing was, on average, our headhunters would work 15 retainers at a time on their desk. But what was happening is those retainers, because they had so many, they couldn't cut deep and hard enough. So their fulfillment time was leaking beyond 90 to 100 days. And we, I mentioned business analytics and business intelligence earlier in the podcast. Every search firm, better embrace data, business analytics, and how long it takes you on, on a number of activities in your search. So we track when the intake call was, when it was kicked off, when the first candidate was presented, when the first full slate was presented, how long it took for first interview, second interview, all of those things, because you can start to troubleshoot where your workflow is in your organization. So we've cut it down to from 15 to 10 searches at a time, 60 days is the red zone and you make more placements that way on a year. And I'll show you how the math works. And you also don't lose out to this job went away or an internal candidate popped up, which is what kills a lot of searches. So anytime you go beyond 60 days in our business, in our category, you're in the red zone. So now, now what that means is you're probably filling nine out of 10 containers instead of maybe 11 out of 15, you're giving a better customer experience, you're shortening the timeline between the search activities from start to finish. Therefore, in an annualized basis, you actually fit in more searches because you're reducing the number of days it is to fulfill that search. 
Joe, what would you what would you say to the founders out there that have explored with remote working and for the first time now they're worried about the productivity? Well, I have remote workers. I have two people in Cleveland. I have two people in Newcastle. I have one up in Canada. And you know what well, it comes down to? That was down? a jump for you, wasn't it, Joe? What's that? That was, yeah, like a, it, that was a cultural I, jump. I, I, you and I have talked about it uh, three years ago. I said, there's no way I would ever hire somebody yes. who was not in my office. There's no way. There's no way. Um, so again, I have so much to learn in this world. And But having said that, it made us be a lot more diligent in our hiring process. Mm. And so I think you have no concerns with productivity if you hired the right person. If you hired the person who's a screwball, they weren't as productive in your office as you thought. They were active, but they weren't productive. Mm. And so, you know, that's that. That's that's the key right there. I find most management issues in a search firm are based upon bad hires. And if you're a lot more diligent in your hiring process, you reduce your headaches substantially, and then you reduce the toxicity substantially, which is what is the basis for a lot of search firms hitting the skids, is bad employee, toxicity, it reeks their bitches and they end up infecting other people who are impressionable. And that is the demise of most search firms I find. Yeah, the need for data and running remote teams is super important. On a Monday, uh, Charlotte runs through all the data on productivity with the team um, using a mixture of Sourcewell, Luxo and LinkedIn Recruiter. So she's able to just pull it all up and then go through what did you actually do? And we found that although it can be an uncomfortable enough experience for people, it's super necessary with remote teams to get get the, the ethos right. Yes. And it's all dwelt on how you present it. Am I presenting this as an inspection of your activity or are you coming to the table with how can I help? Mm -hmm. So we do that. We have multiple meetings during the week that are, here's the activity, how can I help? We've identified these gaps over the last 60, 90 days. In other words, why is it taking you seven days to get first candidate into the client? Let's sit and examine that. Mm -hmm. How can we help you? Is it your research work? Is it your LinkedIn messaging? Is it, is it your, 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 your language in your messaging? Is it you're starting your searches on a Friday and then you're losing the weekend and those the days are clicking in. So we, we start to look at all that. And another function, Dwalta, that your, your listeners should be very interested in, and I think it's as important as Dragonfly was from a production company branding perspective, we created a search operations function in our firm. So our search consultants now um, outsource in the firm uh, creating the postings, creating what we call the position briefs, which are the multimedia uh, products that we use, we send to candidates, individuals, as we call them. They handle all the metrics. They find out um, what are you working on? How close are you done with being worked on it? What resources do you need? 
So my headhunters are only focused on points of engagement. You notice I didn't say phone calls, points of engagement with the market. And so we've got three people who are servicing 12 recruiters who are taking care of all of the activities that are not keeping the individual in front of um, the, the, the search consultant in front of the individual or in front of the client. They're also reaching out with clients and setting up appointments, um, managing calendars, all of those things. Now, I go back to what I said before. You have to make sure you're hiring teammates who want to only focus on talking to individuals, talking to clients, and allowing their partners on the search ops side to take care of all those other highly valued activities, but aren't required to be the same skill set as a good headhunter. You've made that sound very easy. So uh, I've built that thing as well in our own our own way. There's a tremendous amount of detail to get that right from the the marketing, the systems, the process where those people are, what they do, what they're happy doing, how the communication flows between them and the 280 headhunters and how that whole thing, like it's, it is, it is, it's taken us a while to, to nail that down, but I a hundred percent agree to it. Um, I almost feel like sometimes our guys take that for granted that it, it, it's, it's just going to be done for them. Um, how long did it take you to put that together? Well, it's still a work in progress. Um, yeah. We started it in earnest about 16, 18 months ago. And we just now, interesting, Dwalta, about five months ago, about the same time that I had the meeting with the organization here about, listen, the market's going to get tight. Don't be afraid. We're just going to have to be agile enough. I had used search operations as a retrospective function in the company being, what did you do this week? What did you send out this week? What's going out today? We then expanded it to biz dev and it's made all the difference in the world. So now they're doing biz dev for us, putting together marketing pieces, managing our paid campaigns on LinkedIn. And we can talk about paid campaigns on LinkedIn. As we go to conferences, they're reaching out on our behalf to the people at the conference we want to make appointments with. They're putting together the marketing graphics pieces. So now they're loading the top of the funnel and they're retrospectively gaining the data on the back. So yeah. why is data important? A couple of reasons. One is what happened? Number two, why did it happen? Mm -hmm. Number three, what's going to happen? And then the elite side of business intelligence, how can I make it happen? Yeah. And so when you start to give, gather data, you go through those four phases and, you know, Valhalla is how can I make it happen on the data side? And once you start to get enough data, you can start to predict what your spend needs to be in order to make something happen. And that spend is either people, money, or time in a headhunting firm. So let's take another step back. And so you called the branding thing and you called the boom that would happen on the other end of COVID. We all know we're in shock now for the next four to six weeks. And then we got the Christmas break. We come back in January. The dead wood has been scattered everywhere. What, what does the market look like for the following 12, 
18, 24 months. Are, are, do we have to wait for the Fed to give the green light to start making money again? What what does it all look like? Mm. What does that mean for anybody who's listening, who owns a search firm? So when you said I called the media, you and I had a session a couple of years ago before COVID. And I said, as a search firm, you better start developing your brand because there's something's going to happen in the near future. And companies that have great brands, and I don't care if you sell soda, sneakers, or cars, come out of a crisis faster than anybody else. And sure enough, just a couple of months later, COVID came and we, we saw that happen. The brands came out, they stayed alive, they came out much faster, and they took advantage of the market. When we talked about COVID, where um, there was a scrambling going on, and we, you and I called that, that it was going to be the golden years of recruiting in relative terms, it was. You and called now, it. I was running out of money. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you, that, that was all you. <laughs> well, we were, we were on, I was, I was fortunate enough to share that on your podcast. That yeah, was that. yeah. Uh, and and then look, where where's it going in the future? There's few things that are going to go on. This headhunting market's going to continue to get finally professionalized with some of the services that you provide to the marketplace. I love that. You know, I left MRI for a couple reasons. One is I'm going to be developing a world class training program for headhunters as well as search firm owners like looking at it like a real consulting business. I'm not suggesting they're not run that way right now, but there's a lot of room to improve using technologies, tools, training. Okay, so that, you're gonna to start to see that. You're also gonna to start to see search firms, not buying other search firms, but JVs occurring between other search firms. And as you called it, some people are gonna stop painting over the dead wood and let it burn off because there's a lot of search firms that are painting over dead wood and thinking everything's gonna be okay. You've no. got to actually burn that dead wood right off, like aggressively burn it off. And then what you're going to see is people are going to start. We hired two people in our firm that were each making large six figures out of medical device. And they looked at their industry and they said, I love my industry, medical device. I'm making anywhere from 300 to 500,000 a year. I'm a salesperson in that space, and I see that dynamic changing, but I don't want to give up my black book, meaning my book of contacts. I love what I do. I love the people I serve, and I'm moving into my 30s and 40s, and I don't see promise for me working for the mothership or big corporate. They joined our firm, and both of them are killing it. And so I think you're going to start to see a professionalism I don't care if you work HVAC, mining, construction, med tech, life science, the really good search firms are going to go out and grab that talent who I don't have to teach the industry to, who have great contacts, who are subject matter experts, who already know how to sell because most headhunters are shit at sales and what they're taught is even worse than what they don't know. And you're going to have these people come in who, again, the two hardest things to teach in a headhunting firm, how to be a headhunter, meaning selling. And I'm not talking about cheeseball selling. I'm talking about consultative selling. And then domain experience sometimes takes years because otherwise you get on the phone with the hiring manager and the hiring manager clearly knows you don't know his domain or her domain and they hang up on you or don't have trust in you. So I think you're going to start to see the people in their 30s and 40s 
who realize they don't want to spend the rest of their life continually getting their commissions hacked off. The good search firms are going to give first year guarantees to those people, bring them up to speed, and those people will be running million dollar desks within 12 to 16 months, and everybody will be happy. It's going to elevate the space and it's going to break away certain search firms and certain categories from everybody else. So I think that's what's happening. And then finally, you're going to start to see business intelligence, data analytics, and digital tools that will make the search firm's services to the partners, the clients, so seamless and so easy that it's going to be really hard to not use a good search firm. And you might see repricing too. I don't know about that yet. You, start, you may start to see repricing in the search business where you can go into a client and say, let's do a million dollar contract, $80,000 a month, $83,333 a month. It'll guarantee you uh, 20, 20 hires. And I don't care if it's a CEO or I don't care if it's an entry-level salesperson. That's what it is. Because then the search firm can go ahead and start to build an infrastructure around their business. And they can offer a much better cost per hire to the client. And how you construct your search business around that is entirely different than the way classic search firms have been built, where they start with one desk, make it to three, make it to five. And it's a whole bunch of disparate desks in the middle of a bullpen. And some owner has a chipboard and is inspecting four hours of phone time. And it becomes a transactional business. So I think you're going to have that that metamorphosis occur over the next 24 to 36 months. The during the after the pandemic or during it, the big winners were life sciences, healthcare, and FMCG primarily coming out of the gates. Who's who's going to be this time? Food science, um, healthcare will always be. Here's the beauty of healthcare. Healthcare grows at about six to 8% per annum, but there are micro markets within healthcare that grow at 25 to 35%. And so that's what you want to look for. You want to look for markets that are not, that have built in governors to them. Because anytime you have a market that doesn't have a governor built into it, it grows too fast. And by design, it has to crash just as fast. We've seen that with the internet, we've seen that with housing. We've seen that with a number of things. So you want to look for something that has a built-in governor, but has micro markets within it that are spawned by innovation, that require investment dollars. We talked about fuel earlier. Where is the venture money going? Where's private equity money going? Where's the public market money going? In your desk specialty, I would say a majority of them, if you spend your weekend and really dig into where is the fuel coming? Because when that investment money comes in, the thesis is the investment people want you to grow and grab market share before anybody else gets it. In order to do that, you have to hire best in class. And those firms will pay a headhunting fee. They're used to it. So it doesn't mean you have to punt on your existing industry desk. But what you have to do is do meaningful homework and say public money, private money, venture money, Where's the money going into? What's the subset in there that's being invested? So I love healthcare. I love life sciences. That's why I picked them 32 years ago. I love food science a lot because we're going to have to get a lot more efficient and it's through laboratories and, and brilliant scientists. And you can pick off healthcare and life sciences and pull people into there and vice versa. 
So I like those areas a lot. I would stay away from, you know, super high tech uh, companies, but the category I would also go after is voice and vision. If I was opening up an office today, I'd be doing food science and voice and vision. And voice and vision for the smart homes of the future, voice and vision in cars. So anything that is in, 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 in that is video related, both visible and invisible data. And just think about all the things that run in our world. So if you're going after the scientists, the salespeople, the project managers, the product development, the quality engineers, you see I'm coming back to creating technology, but voice and vision jumps across a number of industries. So you're not tied into an industry. You can move in and out of the functions within consumer products, medical devices, uh, 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 science, uh, uh, health tech, med tech, across that. So I would look at those categories, food science, voice and vision. And when I when I look at your business from, from the outside looking in, you know, you're synonymous with innovation, quality of work, but also doing more with less people. Were there moments in that boom coming out of COVID where you thought, you know what, I might go to 100 now. I might go to 200. I might acquire five different businesses. And was there any particular moment that you went, actually, no, we're going to just stay to what got us to the party? So good question. Um, we still, our goal within uh, three and a half to four years is to be 50 million. Uh, we're still we're still going after that. That'll be organic and inorganic acquisition as well as um, the other model I told you is going after people who are in life science, med tech, who are used to making half a million a year, who want to open up their own business and leverage what they did. We'll help them open up an office, become a partner with us, and then use the media, the marketing. We have our own software development company within our search firm that makes digital products for search consultants to be able to scale their efficiencies and create a better appearance to the client. So it's seamless. So what we did, Dwalta, is I knew that the rate of growth going through the pandemic was not a straight line function, nor was it sustainable. And so with that, I said, okay, let's pause here. How do I make my $400,000 billers $800,000 billers? How do I make my $800,000 billers $1.5 million billers? And not put a lot at risk. So what do we do? We invested an enormous amount of money in, we, for the very first time, Dwalta, I have not had a CRM in my office for over eight years. We went to Loxo. I'm a big fan of Loxo. So we finally put a CRM in, right? Because we got into the data analytics, the backend business intelligence. So we spent money there. Then we continued to spend money on software products that sit in between our customer, meaning the individual and the client and our search firm and an experience that is world-class that people are like, holy crap, between media, multimedia, et cetera. We expand the Dragonfly's capabilities without expanding the number of headhunters on our floor. And our revenue went from, I think, 8.8 .8 to $12 million within 18 months on the run rate. And so my exposure, sure, I had some spent and we brought search operations in. I said, how do I increase the efficiency in my players. And then we loaded up the funnel with those two hires from the industry who were experts that I didn't have to spend time. 
And the one fella in his first six months, I think his side of his billing is $380,000 in his first six months. That's a pretty damn good number for somebody who's never done search before. And so those are the things that we did. What are those? Those are building blocks and they're all scalable components. So now as I watch some search firms start to struggle, there's going to be people who work on those search firms who are going to go Mullings. Can I talk to you? In fact, I have another interview tomorrow with a fellow who's coming out of a search firm. Can I talk to you about potentially joining? And it's opened up our environment, Walter, because I never would have had somebody remote, as you and I, you know, joked about a couple of minutes ago. But now we will, because we, and I have I'm having a conversation with a fellow in Buffalo. The same thing. These are business people who have advanced degrees, who have industry expertise in their domain. Um, that they want to take it into helping building companies and careers. That's the way I think we're going to scale over the next five to seven years. Is that a franchise model, Joe? Uh, no. We Right now, we have open offices that eventually there'll be a rev share with the people who are leading those offices. Another will be somebody who wants to come in and partner with us and they'll own the office that they're in. But I don't like, I came out of a franchise organization, manager recruiters, and it's mm. a damn good company. There's so many things about a franchise organization that are less than optimal because it's you can't too easy. things to the same way. Well, it, you know what it is, Dwalta, is you're, you're, the bar you set for entry gets compromised. And it, it could it could devolve to can you fog a mirror and write a write a check to open up a franchise? Right. And so I think if you think about a partner model, the bar is so damn high that you're gonna have a lot less, but the quality and 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 in intellect, like you can't compromise on cognitive intelligence, you can't compromise on conscientiousness. You can't compromise on curiosity. You can't compromise on work ethic. None of those things are compromisable. So in our interview process, we do all of that. My fear with the franchise is every franchise organization in search that I've looked at, there's 300 offices. 10 of those offices are responsible for 50% of the revenue and the other 290 are responsible for the rest of the 50%. And they all get together in these meetings or they all go on a Zoom call together and it's clear that the top 10 eventually like, I, I don't know why I'm wasting my time here, even though they're generous people who want to give back. So I, it won't be a franchise, but there will be one of straight up ownership and those other owners adding to the capabilities of the firm where a franchisee is waiting to be fed. A partnership model is how do I take these capabilities and add them back to the firm. Okay. All right. I think we've covered quite a lot today, Joe. That's uh, mm. have 45 minutes. Um, look, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it as always. What uh, What's the physical regime right now? You're back doing jujitsu. You, you, uh, you just lift in what's up. Uh, still, still exercising. turned 60 this year. So you know, got to fight father time. But um, same thing on the physical regime, mental regimes, just as pursuing my pilot's license. I think we talked about that. Um, I'm really enjoying that. So, uh, you know, keeping the brain 
super agile there. And just trying to keep up with the youngins here. I got to always make sure that, you know, old man's strength can overcome uh, the young uh, <laughs> vigor. I got a couple of the guys in the bullpen with me who are at the gym at 5 a.m. So it's always fun trying to keep up with them as well. Great stuff. Look, thanks for your time as ever. Really appreciate it. Very insightful. You got it, buddy. Be well.